Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Hello there. Welcome to the podcast. Coming up, Janice Lukes on where community centers in Winnipeg are going. The head of Lift & Co. will join us on giving the gift of cannabis. Barry Prentice on this Air Passenger Bill of Rights and Stephen Smith right here in Winnipeg is the world's leading ASMR researcher. What the hell is ASMR? We'll find out. Please rate the podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast. And now, the podcast. We kick off the show with probably the biggest guest of the day today. Janice Luke, City Councilor Janice Lukes joins us on the phone. Hi, Janice. How? Thank you. <laughs> By the way, have you got all your Christmas shopping done, or how are things going I'm in the, in the I'm Luke's in the house? Same, I'm in the same boat as you. Yeah. Gee. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're busy. I don't know what my excuse is. You're busy. I, I, I. You've got a good excuse. I don't have a good excuse. Um, yeah. But it is sneaking up on us here. Hey, the reason I wanted to have you on is, uh, you know, today we found out about almost one hundred and fifty thousand dollars in uh, money for the community centers uh, uh, upgrades. I mean, I don't know what they're going to be able to do with $150,000. It's not a not a whole lot of money. And I know you've been uh, saying for a long time that we need more community centers, including at least another big one in your ward. What's your reaction to this hundred and fifty grand for upgrades? Well, you know, I mean, every year the community centers are allocated. Some community centers that apply are allocated funding. And it's good because, you know, we have over 60 community centers in Winnipeg, and in my opinion, some of them should amalgamate. Um, some of them are very, very old. The city hasn't built a community center in literally decades. Um, but my focus has been, since I've been elected, to get a community center in our new quadrant of the city, the southwest quadrant of the city. Um, we've got a community out there the size of Brandon, and we have we have a community center from 1970 that that doesn't even have a gymnasium in it. So, but we've been making very good progress in that we've got land secured. We've got 25 acres of land secured. We've got um, it's in a big field right now, but we've got planning that's uh, winding up on where the roads will go, where the drainage will go. Very important, you know, bones of a neighborhood. So that's exciting. Uh, now I just have to find a hundred million dollars. So <laughs> twenty five thousand dollars is like whatever. <laughs> That's know? that right there is why you have not got your Christmas shopping done yet because you're worrying about numbers like that. So <laughs> let's talk about the community center idea because I mean let's face it, community centers have been a part of Winnipeg for decades, right? I love the community yeah. center idea. I think we we need to make it bigger and better. But what do we do? Do we uh, you know give facelifts to what we have? Do we amalgamate, which you already said? I mean other cities like Calgary are, are building these. They're not even community yeah. centers. I mean, they're just incredible what they're doing in other cities. How are other cities getting this done and we can't get this done? Yes. Well, you know, it's a different model than what we have here. And, and we are undergoing a review right now, a recreation and green space uh, review. And we're looking at exactly that. We have many, many old community centers that uh, gets to a point where it costs more to keep the thing up than it does to shut it down and, and say amalgamate and build a new facility. So the area that I'm looking at in the Waverly West area, this would be probably Winnipeg's first uh, recreation campus. And we're looking at uh, 
constructing it beside a school and a high school, possibly joining shared use with a library. Maybe the Y will come in and put a pool in. So it's, it's a hub. And, and, you know, if you think about how over the years um, things are changing because there used to be many, many volunteers running community centers. But now with people's lives so busy, with, with so much going on, there's not as many volunteers to run some of these community centers. So we have to look to a new model whereby, you know, there's hired staff. Maybe there's a, a built-in Tim Hortons to help fund it. Um, so this is what we're looking at here in the Waverly West area. And uh, are we, you said there's sort of a review underway now. When will we start seeing some action? Is this, uh, you know, we'd like to see some things start happening in the next year or two, or is it further out? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm thinking that probably in the next two to three years, we'll see shovels in the ground for the Waverly West Community Center. Um, This study that's underway right now is, is looking at, what community centers maybe do we close down? What ones do we amalgamate? And that's what that's looking at. There's, there's no doubt that in this southwest quadrant of Winnipeg, a community center needs to be built. Um, interestingly, I sat down with some of the, the planners of the Waverly West area, and they, they've said, you know, this community has developed faster than anticipated. They thought it would be a 25-year build-out, and it's about a 10-year build-out. It's almost full. So... So with this rapid growth, you know, there's challenges that community centers, fire hall, uh, things haven't been built, and, and that's our focus now. So I'm hoping two to three years. Hmm. We've got a lot of work to do. Yeah, that's <laughs> for sure. million dollars. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a listener just texted in, wasn't some of the VLT revenue house supposed to go to our community centers uh, in some areas? Is that the case, Janice? Do you know or not? Listeners asking. Yeah, not that I know of. I know that community centers could go to lotteries or they could go to the casinos and they could um, work at the casino and raise, you know, money to put towards the community centers. Mm. Um, But no large significant funds that I'm uh, aware of. And I've been working in fund development also for a long time. And another one, you mentioned volunteers. Nathan says in a text message, 204-780-6868, there is a community center in Pansy, Manitoba, I believe I got that right, that has year-round fundraisers, brogy dinners, they put in a new kitchen, new roof, even put money toward paving the highway access that comes into the community to keep a community, uh, the listener says you need a community to keep a community hall functioning. But as you said, times are changing and we have fewer volunteers. And that certainly is, is part of the reason why maybe we need to look at a different model, as you say. Yes, exactly. And, you know, perfect example is Dakota Community Center, which has evolved over the years in South St. Vital. And they have a board, they've got hired staff, they've got a CEO, and we just, just um, goodness, it was last week we opened a completely accessible outdoor skating rink because people are hired, they're professional fundraisers, they look for naming sponsorships, they look for funding from other sources other than levels of government, right? And the facility that is there now, the skating rink, they've got a track, they've got courts, it's, it's wonderful. And um, and this is what, you know, this is sort of the future, right? Like, there are, it is important to have community centers in every community, but there is a cost of keeping them up, and there's trying to find that balance. And that's that's what this report that the city's working on, the staff are working on, is going to 
hopefully guide us a bit better on on priorities and demographics in neighborhoods because that changes too, right? Yeah. And I like your comment too about a Tim Hortons helping to pay some of the bills, right, in a community center. I mean, that just makes sense. We got to look at stuff like that. Well, we've got Robin's Donuts is in is in Dakota. They're yep. there, and and maybe in this new rec complex uh, in the Waverly West, maybe we've got a sports clinic or something. Mm-hmm. Or, you know. Yeah. But I think that it's really in today's prices of building anything uh, and maintaining it and keeping it going, we need to look at a different model than volunteers and leeching off levels of government. Hey, I just got another text message here. I was about to let you go, but James wants to know, please ask Janice why council is blowing a million dollars on a soccer pitch on the Canoe Club golf course that we don't need instead of spending a million dollars fixing community centers. Now, I don't agree with James' premise. I think we need those soccer pitches. Soccer is huge. Well, it is, but James, I think, is very knowledgeable on this topic and that he knows that this is not... It's not permanent forever because this is a golf course that it's gone on. And, uh, yes, it's, you know what, I'd have to side with James on that one. Really? You know, in the big picture. Uh, I mean, it's, it's very important to have soccer fields, but you know what, there's a, another uh, so- a soccer field very close by. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that one was a very interesting one, which I'm just going to leave it at that. Okay. Well, and I appreciate <laughs> you answering the questions from listeners as we go along. I, I really do. Yeah. Hey, before I let you go, how is new council? How are the new members of council doing? Oh well, you know how it's interesting, right? Because we've got we've got some new faces, new personalities. Uh, we've only had one council meeting, which was kind of nothing major on it. Uh, so everyone's on their best behavior and good, but um, I suspect that may change in the new year. Okay, because I was wondering <laughs> if everybody's talking and getting along and really trying hard as we start with a new council. Yeah. Yeah, no, it seems to be going pretty good so far. So we'll see what the new year brings when the hard decisions come down the tube. (laughs) Janice, thanks a lot. And if I don't talk to you before the holidays, Merry Christmas. Yeah, same to you, Hal. All the best. And your family and all your listeners. You as well. Thanks, Janice. Okay. The CEO of Lyft & Co., Matei Olaru, is uh, joining us on the phone now to talk about giving pot for Christmas. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Hal. How's it going? Excellent. Thanks a lot for doing this, Matei. I appreciate it. So before I get into this and the survey you guys have done, just tell everybody what Lift & Co. is. Oh, I'd be happy to. We uh, are a website company where lift.co is our URL. And really what we are is we're the largest resource of product reviews and business reviews for legal Canadian cannabis. Tens there you of go. thousands of product reviews. There yes. You go. Excellent. And uh, you have done a survey and you have found that here in Manitoba, Alberta is with us, but here in Manitoba, about 12% of us plan on giving pot for Christmas. That's the highest in the entire country. <laughs> it is. We found uh, about 10% overall for Canada. So Alberta and Manitoba are certainly leading the way in uh, their generosity. And I guess that makes sense because uh, we're probably further ahead here in Manitoba and Alberta when it comes to the legalization of pot than some other provinces, correct? Mm, correct. We think the existence of brick-and-mortar stores in Alberta and Manitoba has a real impact on this metric. Uh, it serves to educate consumers and also provide some extra access points for those that could consider this as a potential gift. And uh, it, it would resonate that provinces that have retail are more forward-thinking as well here. 
And Matei, it, it makes sense, right? I mean, it's legal now, and uh, there are all mm-hmm. kinds of gadgets and things you can, you know, give somebody along with the actual pot, with the actual cannabis. Um, did you do anything with this survey as far as what people are going to be giving or just a cannabis gift of some kind? We looked at just a cannabis gift of some kind this year, and that's because legally the only formats available are dried flour and oil. But we expect next year as we get into edibles and vaporizer pens and some interesting products that we'll dive deep uh, into the answers and see really what type of product people are looking to give. Um, It definitely makes sense. Here in Ontario, we have the LCBO, and about 50% of their annual gift card sales happen for the holidays. And cannabis, having just been legalized a couple months ago, I think that's a good litmus test of perhaps where this gifting uh, new trend might go eventually. Yeah, so I guess a gift card for one of these stores here in Manitoba would be a good way to go. And then the person you're giving that gift card to can kind of get whatever they want. But maybe talk about some of the gadgets that would make good stocking stuffers, right? Like there are grinders and vaporizers. Maybe touch on some of that stuff a bit. (laughs) Of course. Um, So unfortunately, I don't think anyone would be able to buy a gift card for a cannabis retail location just yet. That's maybe on the horizon. In terms of what might be a good gift, you know, for your first-time consumer, you could assemble perhaps a little starter pack for them. So you hit on a crucial piece of that journey, which is a grinder, uh, perhaps uh, some papers and a nice product that might be good for a first-time consumer. And really, that's where we come in as a business. At Lyft.co, anyone looking to give away a gift could read thousands of reviews of potentially good products for a first-time consumer or perhaps someone that's a bit more experienced and maybe stuff their stockings that way. Yeah, absolutely. You guys are great at, uh, and it's a real easy website. It's just L-I-F-T dot C-O. And um, I guess before I let you go, anything else from the survey that we would find of interest here in Manitoba? As we said, about 12% of us plan on giving the gift of cannabis this year. And I'm sure that number is just going to grow as as we go through the years here. Mm -hmm. I think so. An interesting data point uh, is that there is a split between age ranges. So we saw millennials, for example, uh, at about 20%, they're nearly double the number of other adult age groups that we surveyed to potentially give the gift of cannabis. So perhaps a uh, sign of the times the young people are more eager to share cannabis. <laughs> <laughs> and men and women, how do, uh, how do the genders break down? So men, for overall Canada, were about twice as likely as women, about 14% that said yes versus about 7% for women. All right. Matai, thank you very much. I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Hal. Have a great day. Just before we chat here, live on the phone with Barry Prentice about this air passenger bill of rights. Here's a clip of Transport Minister Mark Garneau. He says the point of this bill of rights is to make sure passengers are always informed as to what's happening. That is a key element in this. Not only that we have clear language with respect to their rights, but that also, when a delay or a cancellation occurs or extra time spent on the tarmac, that regular communication occurs with the passengers so that they have an idea of what is going on. That's a critical part of it. And we'll be watching that 
as uh, as it's on, as the new rules uh, come into effect, to make sure that that communication with passengers is taken seriously into account, because that's one of the things you wonder about the most when there is a delay. You're not sure why it is, and all you want to do is get to your destination, and you don't know why you're not getting on the airplane. Mark Garneau, now under these proposed rules, passengers would be entitled to cash compensation of $400 after a delay of three hours, and then uh, they would go up from there. Joining us on the phone, Barry Predis. He is a professor of supply chain management at Asper School of Business, University of Manitoba, and he is the former director of the Transport Institute. Uh, Good afternoon, Barry. Thank you for doing this. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, so your initial reaction to this Air Passenger Bill of Rights? Well, first, I think I'd say that we need it. Uh, you know, there's a great uh, inequity between the power of an airline and an individual passenger. So you need to have some way of leveling that playing field, and that's where the government comes in appropriately with a certain regulations, not overly extreme, but at least regulations that make sense to most of us. And I, I think this is a, a fairly good compromise they're coming up with. What do you think of the numbers? $400 for a delay of three hours and then 700 and then 1,000 for six and nine hour delays. Well, again, you know, why are these delays occurring? If it's a case that somebody's been bumped without their permission because they didn't ask for this, they're supposed to get home, then this is, I think, fair compensation. And it's very similar to what you see in Europe and other places. We're, we're really behind the curve on this. So I don't think that's a, a problem. Obviously, if the delay is caused by weather or things beyond the airline's control, you're not going to get any compensation. And I, I that's my beef. If things go wrong, just make it right. That That's kind of how I feel about it. But these uh, airlines, they overbook, Barry. As you know, I've been involved in that where I got bumped. Why am I bumped? Well, it's overbooked and you're, you got the short straw. And it turned into a horrible vacation for me as a result. I mean, it's one thing for a mistake to happen, but when they're on purpose, overbooking flights, and you find yourself on the outside looking in, that that shouldn't be allowed to happen. Well, my understanding is WestJet doesn't do that. They, okay. they have a policy on overbooking, but Air Canada does. And, of course, they do it because there are business travelers who are changing their plans at the last minute. But there is uh, some kind of a fair compensation. If there's a fair compensation, I know people who are quite willing to be happily bumped and right. give us the compensation. But if you're going to something like a wedding or, or something that's time sensitive and you just cannot withstand that, well, you know, the way it's happened in the past is like an auction till they found somebody who finally would be willing to do that. And I know people who, who yearn for that. So it's not all bad. Yeah. I, uh, one of my pet peeves these days in 2018, heading into 2019, is that customer service isn't what it once was. It's it's not as important as it once was for a lot of companies. And I think when it comes to the airlines, or at least many of them, why is customer service so lacking in the industry? I, I just don't understand that. Well, customer service costs money, fundamentally. You know, when you go to the McDonald's, you don't expect a white tablecloth and a sommelier. And similarly, if you go to the white tablecloth restaurant, you expect a big bill. Well, people have wanted lower and lower fares, and the competition has pushed us that way, so we're getting that. And, you know, the ultimate is flair, which gives you almost nothing and charge you for everything extra. So it's a, a real question of what the customers want. And, you know, we haven't got to the place where some airlines come along and said, hey, what about... High customer service at a higher price. Will anybody take it? And I don't think that's been a very successful strategy so far. So we're getting this.
And I guess in many places, you know, if price is the king, people are going to go for that. Yeah. Canadian Transportation Agency releasing the draft regulations for public comment this weekend. And then the aim is to have the rules take effect by next summer. We've got the sliding scale of payments. What else should be in this? Well, I think we should maybe put a little bit of fire under their pants. I mean, goodness, this thing was a bill passed back in the spring. It's taken them this long to come up with some regulations. It's going to take them that long before they're going to implement them. You know, I think uh, we should ask the question of why is it taking so long for this to happen? And, you know, people are traveling all this winter and spring, and they're not going to have any of these kind of, uh, you know, protections. So is it just a matter of, of the timing of the machine of government? Or is it, you know, being held out because there's an election coming up in the fall and this is a, a good news story? I prefer to think it was a former, but even that I'm not very happy with. Yeah. You mentioned other airlines in other countries. What are some things done at other airlines in other countries that we should try and get here? Are there maybe some things you know about that we don't know about? Well, not necessarily. I mean, I, I do know that the, uh, the Europeans have had in place for a long time uh, these kind of penalties, and they're actually they're more generous on their delays and so on. Uh, but we're really coming up to sort of the standard that's out there. We're, we're not doing anything more than they are at this point in time. All right, Barry. Well, thanks for your help on this. I really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. And I hope everybody traveling gets there on time. Yes, especially at this time of the year, it's going to be very busy. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Merry Christmas, Barry. Thank you. Thank you. Barry Prentice, Professor, Supply Chain Management, Asper School of Business, University of Manitoba, former director of the Transport Institute. Have you ever heard of this uh, ASMR? It sounds vaguely familiar. It's huge on the internet. On YouTube, it is massive. ASMR is short for Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response. Right. And one author wrote a book about this, ASMR, and he called it The Brain Tingles. Only some of us experience it, though. And whatever you call it, it's become a YouTube sensation. People film themselves in front of a very sensitive microphone or multiple microphones, they whisper and they use props to make a variety of sounds. Here's a sample. I hope you're all doing really, really well. I know. That's... It's strange. Creepy. That is Gwen Gwiz. Her name is Gwen Gwiz. She is a Canadian... She's from Toronto, and she has become an ASMR star on YouTube. She has hundreds of thousands of subscribers. I'm going to be doing about 15. I wrote a list of 15, but I can't find some of the items, so we'll see how many we actually end up doing. She then proceeds to tap and scratch and use a number of items to try and cause an autonomous sensory meridian response in the people watching the video. Now, Cam, producing the show, Tristan, myself, did anybody get the brain tingles when they heard that? Not on that, but I've had it in the had it in the past where it's it, I kind of get it in my lower back, yep. and it's like, I'll go like, Ugh, I'll well, get like a little twitch and stuff like you that. You may find benefits from ASMRs. Okay. TFJ, did it do anything for you? No, not at all. And it is sort of, and I'll be honest with you, when I first saw it, I thought, well, there's this, there's something more to this. It's not just for, 
the benefit of maybe sleeping better or being able to relax or whatever. Because this Gwen is is stunningly beautiful, and I thought, oh, what's this yeah. all about, right? <laughs> That's your instant reaction mm-hmm. to it. And it is just kind of strange, right? Well, it turns out that one of the world's leading ASMR researchers is at the University of Winnipeg. His name is Stephen Smith, and I talked to him recently about all of this. Oh, yeah, it's a really interesting phenomenon. And to be honest, I discovered it thanks to a student who was in my intro psychology class who told me about all these experiences, and I'd never heard of the condition. So after talking to her, I looked it up on the Internet and found all of these, what I found to be strange videos, uh, then brought her in for an interview, and it just kind of spiraled into a, a larger research program than I ever thought it would be. And not everybody experiences, well, I've heard them called the tingles. I've, not everybody experiences this, right? Right. Uh, it's difficult to get a good uh, a good number or, or kind of a, a good way of describing how many people do experience it, because not everybody in the world has uh, internet access to watch these YouTube videos that seem to elicit the tingling. Uh, but there have to be at least a few hundred thousand people in the world who experience it. And that's what it is, eh? When when they watch and listen to these videos, they experience tingles. Uh, yeah, and I think most of your listeners would have experienced tingles in certain instances that are reminiscent of what people with ASMR experience uh, quite frequently. So if, you, if you've heard uh, some music that sent chills down your spine, uh, it's very similar in terms of what the ASMR people would experience. The difference is that we experience the, the tingles down our spine, you know, once a year or so, whereas people with ASMR can reliably experience this uh, when they watch specific types of videos or hear specific types of sounds. And you have done brain scans on people that experience this. What do those brain scans show you? Well, we've done a number of different types of brain scans, and a lot of them we're still analyzing the data. The ones that we've published so far look at the differences in uh, the connections in the brains between uh, in the, the connections in the networks of the brains, comparing that in an ASMR population to what we call control participants, so people without ASMR. And what we found is that in a normal, I don't want to say normal, it sounds like I'm being mean to ASMR people, in a typical uh, brain what you'd find is that there are fairly distinct networks of brain areas that fire together essentially as a team. In people with ASMR, there's a lot of blending of these networks, suggesting that even when they aren't experiencing tingles, when they're just walking around down the street, their brain seems to be functioning slightly differently than it does for the rest of us. So it's like their teams are switching players. Is there any benefit for the rest of us? For the rest of us, no. Uh, For the ASMR people, uh, there are some thoughts that could have some health benefits, although that hasn't been proven. One thing with ASMR is that for a lot of people, they use it in a way that's very similar to meditation. So they'll watch a video and they'll be uh, putting a lot of focus on to what what they're watching or listening to, similar to how someone who is meditating might have a mantra that they say or they might be paying attention to bodily responses. So they're focusing their attention on something for a long period of time. And in meditation, that ends up having a lot of health benefits. So what we need now are clinical studies with ASMR individuals to see if they can have meditation-like health benefits. But right now, no one can say that for sure. So this is something you're going to continue to study then? 
uh, we'll see if my students take me in that direction. You follow them. Well, and I, I have so much data right now that I, I have my next two years. If I didn't leave my office for the next two years, I still wouldn't be bored. We have, we have so much ASMR related data. Um, there are clinical studies that need to be done. I'll have to see if I do them because it's a difficult area to study because given the strange videos that that appear on YouTube and the fact that it has a very non-scientific name, it's actually quite difficult to get the research published because a lot of scientists don't take it seriously. It, it gets a bit frustrating. But yet this is huge. I can't believe there are stars. There are ASMR stars on YouTube. I know it. I find it baffling because I don't have ASMR myself. I don't either. Or I've tried a few times and, and it does nothing for me. So, Right. And I actually find the videos a tiny bit unsettling because I feel like, <laughs> yes. I feel like I'm a voyeur in someone's room right. staring at them applying makeup. And I, I find that very upsetting because I know I shouldn't be there. Yeah. Um, so it, I find it difficult uh, to, to sit through a lot of the videos. Um but but it does seem like there need to be, I, I probably will end up doing these types of studies uh, in about a year once I catch up with the brain data. Yeah, because if it works for some people and it's a distraction from chronic pain, say, for example, or right. it's very relaxing for others, if there are benefits for those of us who don't have ASMR, I would think that's pretty valuable if we can find that. Oh, I completely agree. And I know that there are some researchers in England who are actually starting these types of studies. And uh, so I'm hoping that uh, they will produce something in the next year or two that will move us in that direction and make it easier for other people to uh, propose to grant agencies that they should fund clinical type of trials to see if this can have health benefits. Because you're right, there is a great opportunity here for this subset of the population that does experience the tingles. Steve, I'm going to say goodbye to you the way they would say goodbye on one of those videos on YouTube, okay? Here, here <laughs> okay, we go. I'll, I'll I'm going to give it a try. Here we go. Okay. Stephen, thank you very much. <laughs> You're welcome. Have a good day. <laughs> <laughs> that is uh, that is Stephen Smith, one of the world's leading ASMR researchers. I spoke with him recently, and he is right here in Winnipeg at the U of W. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.